Better be good. I'm in a bad mood. Well, sir, if I could just take a minute or two of your very valuable time to show you a little something I've been working on for the past two or three years. You know, for kids. Hey, kids. It's me, your good pal, Jenna Ipcar. Now, did you folks know that we have a Patreon? That's right. Notes from the Back Row is running on hopes, dreams, and donations from people like you. Join now and receive a variety of fun perks from early episode access to an end-of-year swag box. Learn more at back-row.com. Just click on Patreon at the bottom of the page. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the show. Hello, this is Notes from the Back Row. A podcast like no other. Different themes, rotating hosts, and so much more. So strap in for a veritable cinematic Coney Island of the mind. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Notes from the Back Row. I am Dan Gorman and I am here on Hoser Horror as always with... Carlo, what's up? Carlo, and we are talking about two, count them, two Canadian (laughs) horror movies. Again, if you've heard the show, you'll know that's what we do here on the Hoser Horror corner of Notes from the Back Row. Go to back-row.com. Check out all of the written stuff that you can find there. Check out the Patreon that you heard about off the top of the episode. And follow us on all of the social media at Back Row Cineblog. That's Facebook. That's Twitter. That's Instagram. And also let us know on any of those platforms what you think of Hoser Horror. If you have any requests of movies for us to get to, give us some feedback. Rate and review us on iTunes. Do all that good stuff. Yeah, especially the reviews. That's, that's always helpful. So today we're here with another vaguely themed duo of Canadian horror movies. They both start with the letter R. <laughs> yeah, lo- lots of R words, I guess. And yeah. when I put They're- these two together, I was like, I, I get, these two are like about zombies, right? And well, <laughs> turned out not really, but eh, yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> They're both rated R. They both start with the letter R. They both have some kind of goopy, gory stuff in them. That's that's good enough. That's good enough. I mean, we've uh, we've done worse. Yeah, <laughs> in, in putting movies together, it's like like what was it? Watchers and the Gate. Yeah, uh, dogs. Sure. Yeah, two two movies that have a dog. <laughs> so speaking of goopy and gory, let's get to our first pick here on Hoser Horror with Revenge of the Radioactive Reporter. I've got a rubber in my wallet. Can't you be original for a change? Very funny. There's been a terrible accident. That'll teach you to mind your own business. Embarrassed publicly by facial blemishes? (laughs) Oh, those ugly blackheads. Kill them dead. Annihilate actors. This movie 
came out in 1991, starring David Scammell, Catherine Boys, Randy Perlstein, and more. It is directed by Craig Price, and the tagline to Revenge of the Radioactive Reporter is, Great reporters aren't made, they're mutated. Synopsis, a young newspaper reporter becomes a horrible, crusty-faced zombie following a radioactive contamination. This is a film that was produced and shot in and around Toronto, Ontario by Priceless Productions, which is the director's own production company, I assume, and the credited uh, visual effects company was also credited on the IMDb Gajeki or Gajdeki visual effects. Hmm. So this is a comedic horror film. I guess what happened was the director, Craig Price, graduated from the York University film program and uh, within a few years of doing so, decided he was going to produce and direct his own film and that became Revenge of the Radioactive Reporter which ended up winning Best Independent Feature at the Houston International Film Festival and was ultimately sold to MCA Universal, who apparently, according to what I read, released it in 65 countries. I know Astral Films put it out in Canada on VHS, and IMDb said there was some theatrical showings as well. Hmm. Craig went on to direct other horror movies. The Dark is one of the ones that comes up a lot, which was sold to HBO, and then he kind of ended up working in television and and kind of romantic comedies and other stuff like that for the rest of his career yeah lots of uh christmas movies i saw yeah <laughs> kind of the uh, isn't that what, like david dakota and fred and ray are also doing a lot these days yeah it's like the common theme within all these b-movie directors mm. is like after a certain amount of time of you know making legitimate horror films they either start doing softcore stuff or they start doing Christmas stuff or they do softcore and then eventually just decide to start doing Christmas things or like romantic lifetime comedies. Yeah, I guess Christmas is like the ultimate step in sleaziness. That's where you end up. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of funny, like around Christmas, I was like just... Um, checking what was on tv and there was this like really cheesy newish christmas movie on tv i'm like ooh, which one is this i wonder if this is one that's <laughs> directed by someone who used to be like a cult director and sure enough it wasn't just a cult director it was ron oliver canadian yeah cult director producer <laughs> i guess yeah that's amazing <laughs> that was a funny coincidence but yeah i, I yeah I turned that movie off like I wasn't going to watch watch one of those. For for a while, Craig Price was doing stuff that I guess was getting him some pretty notable nominations. I think that there was like some uh, overview that said that he was nominated for a Gemini or or some like he was kind of doing pretty legitimate work. Goosebumps Mm. for Fox is, you know, not a nothing thing. So that's cool. But I do find it interesting. I feel like there's a a whole podcast to be made about these directors who were good at bringing in movies on time under budget regardless of quality and how those set of skills have made them in demand in the world of like the most you know non-offensive yeah. schlock you know it's like the mm. non-exploitation filmmaking being done by people that figured out how to do it through exploitation yeah i guess at that point in their career they're just happy to be working and they have the experience and probably <laughs> it's hard to start their own projects i know there's like these uh, sci-fi movies that are being made as well like when doing like i don't know 
uh, three-headed gorilla shark versus <laughs> whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's either that or, yeah, Christmas movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Revenge of the Radioactive Reporter, the the exploitation stuff that I kind of pulled from their review here was that it's not super notable to a lot of people. It's a little bit under the radar right now. Mm. The exploitation review is a little bit, skews a little negative for my liking because I, I saw this film when I was in high school. I believe I found it on VHS at, at a local shop and I yeah. bought it just because it has a ridiculous name and an awesome cover. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I remember it as it was just a goofy movie mm. and I, you know, it didn't stick with me, but I thought it was kind of funny and I knew that it was from Canada. And revisiting it, I kind of have the same mm-hmm. opinion, although it it seems like I have a bit of a higher opinion than most people because yeah. I like really stupid stuff, and I feel <laughs> like this is this is more on my side than something like Night of the Dribbler, where that's just like yeah. the jokes are the worst things in the world. And on this one, it's like the jokes are the worst things in the world, but they still kind of make me chuckle a little. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, we both have kind of a soft spot for dumb comedy that realizes it's being dumb. Yeah, um, nine times of nine times out of ten, the jokes are like more absurd than they really hit their mark. Yeah, yeah, I can see if you're not into that. I can imagine this movie being pretty ugh. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I'm I'm kind of on the same page. Uh, there were just a lot of goofy touches that made this movie more enjoyable. Yeah. Then I would say it is good or captivating or whatever. It is what it is. But, mm. you know, one of the things that I thought that surprised me about the review on Exploitation, and not to say that the reviews on exploitation are set in stone you know not mm-hmm. everyone on there is written by paul but i'm sure people's opinions change over time but it did surprise oh, yeah. me that on there there was some lines about like it doesn't seem like the the people making it were having that much fun and i kind of felt like mm. this movie gets by on the few silly jokes that land yeah and like an honest kind of you know love for this kind of movie it's not high art it's very like (laughs) it's very like it also ran toxic avenger kind of thing but i i also kind of felt like trauma stuff really goes for the like gross out offensive Mm -hmm. kind of anarchic kind of humor and i felt like this the kind of most hard-edged thing about this movie is is the guy kills some would-be rapists and I felt like, oh, yeah, yeah. other than and, that stuff, and, and they even kind of make a point of having a big spray painted thing that says disarm rapist. So it's kind yeah, of yeah, like, yeah. Uh, it's also kind of trying to be on the right side a little bit. It was just, mm. other than that, it's just kind of like a goofy, fun, dumb movie. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Um, it's, it's, it's a bit more good hearted than something like, I don't know, there's something about Toxic Avenger and like those like pure trauma movies. Like I I think the only scene in Revenge of the Radioactive Reporter that is trauma esque is like when he pees in the bathtub. Yeah, that kill scene. Totally. That, that's like on the level of so extremely toilet humory that that's like skirting the edge of good taste. You know. Yeah. But but it still made me chuckle. Like I mean. Yeah. Who comes, who, who comes up with this shit? I, I, I just liked in general uh, the fact that he is so pulsing with radioactive wastes inside of him that just by touching people, he's melting them. And his pee is enough to like heat up the bath uh, water so much that it boils someone yeah. alive. 
Yeah, that made for some fun stuff. And yeah, there's like a scene where he he's like rips his ear off and throws it at someone's face to like yeah. start to like you know melt their face, and then he throws mm-hmm. his other ear at them. And it's yeah, and there's a lot of like him grabbing people with his hands and leaving like goopy hand marks on it. I don't know. There's more gore in this than I was expecting. Like I'm, I don't know. At this point in Canadian low budget horror movies, I'm not expecting gore whatsoever. But there was some goopy <laughs> stuff in this one, and that yeah. surprise me the reason this movie exists is because it is kind of angling for that cult comedy kind of thing and Mm -hmm. then also to show off some effects because they know the kind of movie they're making Mm -hmm. and they know that the kind of people that come to this movie will be at least expecting certain types of effects shots Mm -hmm. and for that it does the job Mm -hmm. and i think in terms of canada's entry into that horror movie at this time i think it's one of the better entries in that i think eventually we would get more movies like that i'm sure yeah. i could go on imdb and find more more recent examples of like mm-hmm. canadian goopy horror movies that probably outshine this but yeah. yeah like the movie is is basically about a guy who is investigating the wrong people they decide to throw him in a vat of toxic waste he turns into radioactive reporter and he's got (laughs) to you know kill all the people that decided that they were gonna do this to him Mm -hmm. and then also save his girlfriend by the end of the movie and so it is just kind of like the bare bones of what we need to get him to have a series of murder scenes (laughs) yeah exactly there's not a lot of surprises to the structure and the narrative of the movie it just goes from kill set piece yeah. to, the, to the next until it's all pretty much played out and there's like goofy things that the kind of big finale to some mm-hmm. degree is two people chasing each other around a pool yeah and going like back and forth and being like i'm going this way you're going that way like that's like a big part of the finale of the movie and it's like <laughs> okay you it's got, like no yeah. scope to that <laughs> yeah and or like there's a scene where you know he gets thrown into this toxic waste vat Mm -hmm. in like the nuclear power plant and then like for the rest of the movie it's like his home base that he goes back to and like microwaves dinner by like dunking (laughs) it in the 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 radioactive waste as much as this movie is what it is and it's not in not amazing i can't hate this movie yeah exactly (laughs) you can't hate it for for that yeah that stuff like just hanging out in his floaty in the in the basin of radioactive waste like write, writing letters with a quill and and yeah so like that's worth one star two stars at least yeah exactly <laughs> i agree yeah and i i couldn't find anything about the film's budget I was trying to to do some Google searches. It's one of those movies where, you know, you see all these reviews on the internet or on IMDb where people are like, talk about a no budget movie. And you're like, there's some budget here. There's lights. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it costs they have money to light the movie. So. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody bought those gels or rented them. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's a low budget movie for sure. But yeah, I always find it weird when people call movies no budget movies. The guy who shot it, Paul Sorosi, you know, he mm-hmm. went on to be a very very notable cinematographer and I think director and I did find an interview of his where he was talking about this movie and and it was one of the only quotes I could really find where Mm. he just kind of said Revenge was an incredibly low budget film made by friends of mine in film school in York University and it was my passport to the world of feature films everybody involved was inexperienced so there was no fear of hiring a first timer you know he cut he cut his teeth and he eventually went on to do stuff with like Adam Agoyan for years 
Oh, damn. I think he was like primarily Adam McGoyan's collaborator. Yeah. And he did some stuff with some other directors. I think he did a movie with Paul Schrader. But yeah, like he like cool. went on to do like cool stuff and and I kind of like to see that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's an amateur movie, but it's not made by people who really don't know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. in the sense that even when you look at things, as much as you love things, there's like yeah. so much wrong with that production. Yeah, but that's that makes a it no budget better. movie. But this is not that. This feels like a functional movie that's yeah. doing what it set out to do. Yeah, I would arguably say that this movie is a better made movie than the types of movies that it's also ran with like Toxic mm-hmm. Avenger. Like Toxic Avenger is a scrappy movie. The editing is. is all weird. It's like this movie is like the you know they're trying to make a movie. I mean mm-hmm. you know again it's not the best movie in the world, but they tried. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it looks nice. It's lit well. I wonder if Toxic Avenger was like the main inspiration for this though, because watching it, I felt more. I got more Dark Man vibes from this, especially totally. with like his. Uh, like his fedora and his and his uh, and his coat and everything. Like the look yeah. was more dark manny, and his arc sort of reminded me more of Darkman as well. Yeah, I I agree. I think this gets put together with Toxic Avenger a lot just because of it's about a guy and he's like toxic and radioactive. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes to my mind just because of all the people that have said that. Yeah, but you're yeah, right. Yeah. Like when you actually get down to it and look at the type of movie it is. I mean, there's no way to know what the intentions were here, but I, I, I guess the cover is a part of it as well. Um, when you look at it, that doesn't look like a Darkman type movie. It definitely feels very Toxic Avengery. It looks yeah, exactly. Very, very schlocky. Like sh- probably schlockier than the movie actually is. It yeah. kind of gives you yeah, sort of a distorted image of the movie. I feel, but in a way that made me check it out, though. (laughs) Yeah, I do want to bring up really briefly the the performance by Randy Pearlstein, a.k.a. the brother of Mike R. Wave, Joe Wave Mm. Jr. I, I might be getting the names wrong, but the brother of the main character in the movie puts in such an incredible non-performance <laughs> I, but yeah. in a way that is so endearing <laughs> like i could see people hating it i wanted more of him yeah yeah yeah, yeah. his line readings are are very um he doesn't really know what parts to emphasize it's it, it sounds almost yeah. like alien <laughs> the way he... this is either so bad i love it because mm-hmm. i just am so endeared by it or a choice yeah <laughs> i don't know <laughs> I wonder if it's a choice. I, I really do, but maybe I don't know. There's there's enough tongue in cheekness to this movie that it could. Yeah, be. I, I yeah. really loved that performance. It's like the thing that sticks out in my head of this movie. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the one thing, like probably my favorite part of this movie, my my favorite silly part, other than that whole like hanging out in his radioactive bat cave um, in his floaty. There's like one person he goes after and he does this whole like red riding hood, big bad wolf hiding in the bed dressed as grandma routine. <laughs> that, that that really made me laugh, that one. <laughs> in terms of this film's Canadian angle, it, you know, they're not super explicit about being in Canada, but I think 
on the surface, it's a very Canadian movie. Hmm. First of all, we have the other most notable thing of this movie was when I was a younger, I remembered the song Circular Impression by the Extras, which I guess was a very notable hit here in Canada hmm. or Toronto, at least. And it ended up on the Dr. Demento show. But it's this ska song and it's about a, a condom in the guy's wallet. And it's oh, really yeah. stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that one. <laughs> yeah, it's really stupid. But I, the first time I saw this movie, I was like, what is this song? Yeah, yeah. Same, same. <laughs> yeah. And so that's like very Canadian. And, you know, there's like a guy who gets put through a wood chipper and it splatters all over an Ontario <laughs> license plate. There's a lot of accents in the bar that they go to is a bar here in, in mm-hmm. Toronto. And the bar scene was just all bad puns. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What was yeah. Uh, the thing that the old lady said? To, she, she tried to pick up like the radioactive reporter. And oh, yeah. And she goes, what's better than roses on your piano tulips on your organ (laughs) (laughs) hey hey oh yeah that's about the level you're getting here in a movie where characters are named mike r wave randy cock tom collins chair noble (laughs) chief bollocks there's a credit in this film of a character playing a wino and the person credited to the wino is al k hall and I'm like, that's a fake credit. <laughs> and I love it. I don't know. Maybe there's someone walking around with that name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the that's the level of comedy here. It's not a great movie. I, I would point people that like cheesy horror movies towards this before before some other movies, for sure. Like, what other movies would you not point them I don't to? know. Well, I guess Night of the Dribblers, like, or go to don't watch this bad comedy horror thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you're if you're trying to scrape the barrel of horror movies, you know, and you have R- Night of the Dribbler in one hand and this in the other, like, or any, you know, there's a lot of horror comedies. Like, I, me and you talked recent recently ish about the sleeping car with David Naughton, which oh, is like a really yeah. goofy, dumb movie that is pretty garbage. Like, there's yeah. a lot of movies that try and tread that comedic and not and and goopy horror. And I I just think this is like a really down the the middle example of that. And I think you could do a lot worse. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's a pretty inoffensive one compared to those other ones. I mean, this movie's fairly. It feels pretty humble in its gags, so... Yeah, totally. So if that's the kind of thing you like, you'd you'd be fine checking it out. But from a movie that is not spoken about too much to a film that has been spoken about a lot, from a director who has been spoken about a lot, 1977's Rabid. All around her, people are dying, and only Rose knows why. You gotta come quick. You gotta come quick and get me. Don't scream. Don't panic. He's dead. And the dead can't hurt the living. Rabbit. Your best friend. The neighbor next door. One minute, they're perfectly normal. The next, Rabbit. Pray it doesn't happen to you. From director David Cronenberg, this is a film starring Marilyn Chambers, Frank Moore... Howard Reisman and more, obviously directed by David Cronenberg. Pray it doesn't happen to you. Synopsis. After undergoing radical surgery for injuries from a motorcycle accident, a young woman develops a strange phallic growth on her body and a thirst for human blood, the only nourishment that will now sustain her. This movie was made for $530,000 and 
It is the second feature-length film from David Cronenberg after Shivers. And I was going to, we, we were talking before the recording and I kind of stopped myself because I wanted to say it on the show, but we, we've kind of been avoiding the big ones, the big names a little bit. Yeah, because it's a little <laughs> obvious to go for and we want to, you know, uh, find some gems first maybe. But at one point we were like, okay, we're going to have to talk about some Cronenberg. And we love, I mean, I love Cronenberg. I know you're a fan as well. So yeah, we got to talk about it. And one of the reasons why I get worried about this stuff is, you know, A, people have said so much about his output. Like, what am I going to bring to it? And B, like, this is a movie that was a blind spot for me for a long time. So there is some excitement about, like, I'm finally going to get rabid and, and scratch it off my list. But yeah, there's a there's a very real, I don't know how I'm going to come at this film and say anything new. But it's fun to check in on the things that you haven't seen and, and see what you have to say about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely when it's, well, I consider this a classic, a classic Cronenberg movie, classic horror movie in general. And especially when those hit home fun to get in on the excitement that people still have for this kind of movie yeah when when i was looking up stuff about this and tell me if you agree with this but i kind of got the sense that people find this to be one of the like lesser cronenberg films i guess that's the tendency on letterboxd ish like yeah. people compare to shivers a lot and people generally like shivers more i mean i've seen shivers once i've seen rabbit twice now like second time for this podcast i don't know like i i should probably watch shivers again before i like make any statements but at the time when i watched both close to each other i also like rabbit more so i don't know i know back uh, back in the day at least this is stuff i gathered from like watching interviews with cronenberg he he was more in control on the production of rabbit and he seems more content talking about rabbit compared to shivers which was his debut and probably a lot of things that happened there where he wasn't yeah, like I said, fully in control, so mm. it's it's probably different. But as for like the critical reception at the time, that that's a whole a whole nother thing. Yeah, like like I said, on Letterboxd, people seem to like Shivers more for some reason. And you haven't seen Shivers, Red? No, that so that'll be my next. I have to get mm. to that. I I had seen a good chunk in the the right in the middle of his career, from Videodrome through to History of Violence, with the exception of M Butterfly. So I had that big chunk of his kind of mid late mm -hmm. career. So. I had not seen Scanners until a year or two ago, but yeah, so, and I, I actually still haven't seen The Brood either. Scanners was another one that I felt like a lot of people would say like, oh, it's really cool, but it's pretty, it's pretty boring and stretches mm -hmm. and kind of, and, and I watched and I was like, ah, I have no idea what you're talking about. That was like a five-star movie. I loved exactly. it so much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Same. And then I saw Rabbit and I was like, holy shit, I love this movie too. It's just mm -hmm. so good. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. Um, there, there's something about like late... Uh, like mid to late 70s like early Cronenberg that's different than the video drones and the flies and, and all that stuff the brute, the brute definitely fits into this category as well you know when you talk about like the, the, the clinicalness and the coldness of like David Cronenberg that's the thing you kind of have to uh, warm up to basically which is a thing that I, I had to do like in general with David Cronenberg I, I really had to warm up to him as a director like I've always liked The Fly a lot and when I revisited it for the first time as an adult 
it just blew me away. I'm like, geez, I forgot how good this movie was. But then I've never been a big fan of Videodrome for some reason. Like that movie, I've, I've seen it like four or five times. I keep going back to it. There's something to this movie that really pulls me in. But then when I watch it, I'm, I'm just looking for that connection and it doesn't happen. So I was very like hit and miss in terms of how I felt about David Cronenberg. But at one point I'm like, okay, I, I need to see the horror classics. I need to know how I feel about David Cronenberg based on his major works. So I started working my way back and I think Rabbit was the first one that I tried of like this early period of his career and it it clicked right away. I was like, Jesus, this is this is so good and this feels so specific in its in its aesthetic and its vibe and it's and, and it is cold and clinical, but it's so beautifully shot and it's just there's something almost cozy but at the same time alien about the way he shoots uh, his movies in, in in like the early part of his career. Yeah, definitely. And and you still get that, you know, a lot of these earlier movies have that medical authority kind of what could happen if the control of something like this was given to the people that, you know, aren't in doing the proper checking and it goes, mm-hmm. this is how it could spiral out of a control. There's this distrust for that in, yeah. in his early work and that's really cool i found an interview with him on he was being a little bit coy about the political aspects of this movie he he mentioned the october crisis which is a thing that happened in the 70s where members of the flq kidnapped the deputy premier so what happened was pierre trudeau prime minister he he basically said i'm going to invoke this war measures act and there's going to be people with like guns on the street and Mm. he was saying that a lot of people were looking at this movie and how the scope of this movie widens compared to what i have been told shivers is more Mm -hmm. much more of a contained movie so when in this movie you know when it gets to like this out of control thing here comes all these people on the streets with guns and he was kind of saying like maybe you could take it that way but then he was also saying (laughs) but also if you thought something else you could too (laughs) yeah just trying to keep it on the level like um make of it what you want (laughs) yeah other people say it's an aids movie or it's an std movie so Uh, yeah there was apparently one critic at the time who he called the movie pro-conformity (laughs) <laughs> which what? was something that deeply confused Cronenberg and he was saying they had a lot of like discussions about this and um, basically Cronenberg's standpoint was he was always of the conviction that horror movies are as they are just more subversive than anything else and I, I think I definitely agree with that because if there's anything that can be considered pro-conformity in horror movies it's reacting against pro-conformity and as a release of frustration brought on by society's standards, if, if you frame it like that, okay, yeah, sure. But calling it pro-conformity, like out of context like that, is it, it just feels... It sounds, I mean, maybe I'm completely off base, but it kind of sounds like that person is viewing this movie strictly through the lens of the idea of it being a sexual thing. Like, there's a sexual element to this movie 100%. But Absolutely, yeah. I... I kind of saw it less of like, okay, it's, you know, it's not like something like It Follows where this is an STD horror movie, you know, and and sounds like maybe that person is pulling from this film like, well, if it's 
a sexual thing that's going on in this movie, then I guess the idea is if you're not sexual, you won't catch it or something. But I don't mm-hmm. think that's what this movie's getting at. That doesn't sound like Cronenberg, like one bit even. Because the movie's not like you have sex and you get it. I mean, lots of people in this movie get it just from like hugging her or whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> So... I don't know. I mean, there there is a, obviously there's a sexual element with the fact that it stars uh, Marilyn Chambers and mm-hmm. she she came from porn and so maybe that's clouding it a little bit. But uh, you know, obviously there is an element of this idea of it being a transmitted thing and she she is kind of a sexual being in the film and so I can understand somebody confusing that maybe <laughs> yeah yeah but then again if you don't for example when I watched this movie I didn't know who Marilyn Chambers was at the time so I didn't even know she came from like adult movies it doesn't really factor into the movie like if you if you watch it like face value and her her casting as well um on the extras of the Blu-ray release I have, there was an interview with Ivan Ivan Reitman, and he was mm. talking about uh, why they cast her instead of, it was going to be Sissy Spacek that they were going for, but yeah. um, I don't remember who it was, but they objected to her accent sounding a little too Texan or whatever, and then apparently Reitman saw Marilyn Chambers on this show where they basically do naked interviews <laughs> with celebrities, and he was like, yeah, she seemed like really clever and, and charismatic. So I suggested her and then, yeah, uh, for them, it was kind of a big name to get while yeah. still being someone who they could afford to get. They weren't going for her because she's been in adult movies. It's just, uh, and, and, and when Cronenberg talks about uh, Marilyn Chambers as well, like he was just uh, like very pleased with her performance and surprised that she didn't go on to have like a, a career outside of like adult movies. It was a good pairing because they were getting the kind of level of star they needed for the money they needed. But she was also somebody who was interested in trying out legitimate film from from what Cronenberg said in one of the interviews I watched. So it was kind of like she was into the idea of this could be my entry into this other element of my career. And it was interesting. Cronenberg said as well that he had not watched any of her pornography and still hadn't in the interview that he gave. It was more of a modern interview. But yeah, I thought that was funny. He was like, I just didn't watch any of it. I mean, her performance is really good in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. Absolutely. Like, uh, I was surprised to find out after, like, she'd mostly been in adult stuff and then... Hasn't been in a lot of other, like, I think there's, you know, a handful, like, maybe a couple movies that she was in that weren't that kind of movie afterwards, but it's really surprising that she didn't go into more mainstream. She's really great. Must have been some some type of stigma attached to that uh, that has to be it basically which is sad because i mean she yeah she has a lot of like charisma and spontaneity in the way she she approaches this role and also her character in this movie she's like basically the one character you can sort of sympathize with the one character who shows her emotions and therefore is sympathetic so yeah i, I can definitely see why why she she uh, why they went for her and you know also like despite the fact that she's basically the cause of everything that's going wrong in this movie like she's the carrier which sort of makes her an antagonist inside of this movie i guess but you don't really view her that way like she's also just a victim of what's happening exactly i think that's one of the things i liked so much about the movie because you know even if we start to think about what that other person was saying about it being like anti-conformity and stuff but like 
the whole crux of the movie is that she has been victimized by having something done to her that she didn't want done and didn't ask for being done. And so there's a really interesting layer with that. And then there's also the interesting layer of she's the carrier, but for a certain portion of the movie, she doesn't actually really know mm-hmm. that she's the carrier. Like she knows something's wrong and stuff. There is a point where she realizes that she's the person who's who's kind of the the center of it all. And I think that's one of the real interesting things of her character being the centerpiece, but also being the center of what's going wrong. And that's I, I thought that was really interesting and lent it that ability to be like you don't dislike her because you, she's confused and you are understanding of that. Mm-hmm, totally. It's really fucking good. <laughs> it is, it is. It's so good. And and I mean, I, I just love like horror movies that don't explain why something is happening. And that's, that, that is very much this. Like, why is this thing happening to her? I don't know. Science signs gone wrong just body horror in general it's it i i think body horror is the only thing that physically makes me squirm like and especially in this movie like an armpit which is kind of like a vulnerable place to to have basically a, a butthole there with a knife yeah. penis inside of it it's just, with a, yeah vampiric penis yeah yeah basically yeah yeah that's that's very original <laughs> but it, it also sounds terrifying yeah and it's played well i really like the way that it's obfuscated a little bit like the first time that she wakes up and the guy comes in and she starts to kind of seduce him a little bit and he's like i don't understand what's going on (laughs) and then something happens while they're while her arms around her you don't really know what happened for a second i was like whoa that was edited weird but then it's purposefully trying to like not let you in on what's going on and it's a fun kind of reveal as you watch it and i I was always interested in the cover being that body yeah and the fridge and the freezer basically you see this a lot in movies from back in the day where where like i I guess that's obviously a really memorable moment of the Mm -hmm. movie but at the same time it's like it doesn't sell the movie to me i was it's it's very weird of a pick to put on the cover it it did sell it to roger corman though yeah (laughs) yeah okay so that poster that you you you've seen is it's just a still like ivan reitman was explaining that this is just a still and i think he said like oh this this will be a good cover for the movie a good poster for the movie and then other people reacted well to it as well like like i said just uh, roger corman and stuff and but yeah, I also agree. It's it's a weird that character is barely a character in the movie, which makes it a little odd. Yeah, and it's like a striking image. And if I step away from now having seen the movie, I can look at it and say I understand why people like Roger Corman and people involved mm-hmm. like this as a poster to sell a movie because it's like a woman and it's she's dead and what happened to her and let's pray it doesn't happen to you. And yeah, when I look at it having seen the movie, I'm just like. This is just a picture from the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, very out of context. It's it just... It's eye-catching, but yeah, it's just a weird one. It's uh, You see that a lot in these old movies where, like, something very specific happens in a movie and then that becomes the logo or, like, the cover. Yeah. And it's like, that's okay, I guess. Like, it's striking, but what about the movie? Yeah, yeah. It's just not very representative of what happens in the movie, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure. I think the the tagline should have been Potato Man Loves Ketchup Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> that that guy the the uh was it Joe 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 Sil- Silver. Joe Silver, yeah. I was looking him up on IMDb and one of the notes says 
known for his foghorn-like voice. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's the, yeah, he has a very specific voice. It's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good, and I'm really glad that I got around to it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you liked it as well, because I yeah. was saying to you, like, I, I really like Rabbit, I hope you like it too. Uh, but yeah, this, this movie had some trouble getting made though like i don't mm. know how, how aware you are of like production issues i'm not super aware. So, okay so uh some stuff on that blu-ray as well in the extras um so when shivers came out a certain type of audience didn't really re- react very well to it they were like outrage and i'm guessing it was yeah. the type of audience that would go out on the street and protest stuff like you know silent night deadly nights yeah y- you know the kind <laughs> um but yeah it was this reaction that worried the cdfc so for Mm. a while cronenberg couldn't really get any funding to make his next movie even though shivers had been a financial success and and cinepix who began producing their own movies um with cronenberg like shivers after being mostly like distribution company at first they were really set on working cronenberg again like putting pressure on getting his next movie made and then well eventually it did get made but yeah cronenberg had kind of like a a crisis of self-confidence as well while making rabbit he was he sort of stopped believing in the whole project and other people had to talk him back into continuing the movie uh and he said was this was the only like crisis of that kind i had in my career and from then on out i just believed in my movies yeah it was kind of interesting that he had some trouble during uh during rabbit that's yeah i knew that he had issues with shivers and we talked with paul about this a bit on our interview episode but there were people when shivers came out saying like Mm -hmm. this movie is disgusting and it's full of violence and blood and you paid for it and so i'm here to tell you how bad it was and you know and and there was a lot of people that were just like this is where your tax money is going or whatever Um, but now I'm looking at the Shivers Wikipedia and I saw that not only it did what you said, which is make it harder for him to make movies, but he also was kicked out of his apartment owing to his landlord's inclusion of a morality clause in the lease. Oh, God. <laughs> so oh, I man. guess when news got out about Shivers, his, his landlord was like, you gross man, get out of here. Oh, that's terrible. It's terrible, terrible. Damn, damn prudes. <laughs> yeah, which is interesting because then you have these people saying Shivers was bad in Canada, but then mm-hmm. you have people like Roger Ebert who said, I guess, that he saw it on a double bill with the film Snuff and was mm-hmm. expecting just some crap, but then gave it like a two and a half stars. Like, actually, this movie surprised me, uh, Shivers. Yeah. So, okay. you know, you have people that were looking at it and being like, let's at least attempt to like... <laughs> you know yeah look yeah, at yeah. this see, see you know. some merits in the, <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah but it's God. funny that that didn't come from canada <laughs> <laughs> to that degree i mean i'm sure there was but also it's just funny <laughs> another thing though i found kind of interesting like i was ter- uh, talking earlier about like clinicalness and the coldness and everything and apparently back in those days when movies would get funded by the cdfc as the year progressed towards the end of the year more and more money would become available so a lot of them were shot during winter like rabbit as well it shot in winter and people were like really really freaking cold but yeah that's another reason for i guess the look of early cronenberg movies they're all like set in uh uh, shot in like i don't know uh, winter basically now this blu-ray that you have is at the scream factory or arrow Arrow. yeah it's the uk release i i don't know is it scream factory who has it in the u.s and canada yeah i think there's a scream factory release oh okay yeah yeah i haven't uh the arrow release yeah, which the arrow release quite okay. nice bunch of extras nice. and stuff 
So this is a great movie. We didn't really talk about the plot of it at all, but that doesn't matter. I'm sure <laughs> people know about this movie enough, but it, it's really great. And if you're like me and you've been dragging your feet on some of the classic Cronenberg stuff, mm-hmm. take it from me. You know, I sat down and I watched Scanners a year or a year and a half ago and it I loved it so much. And now I've loved Rabbit and I'm just like, I should have been on this earlier so i'm gonna yeah. keep that train going through to <laughs> to the brood and and shivers for sure yeah i mean it, yeah. it took it took me a while as well like i said just like warming up to the guy and then discovering his earlier stuff and then it's it's just it's like an itch you didn't know you had being scratched like I, yeah uh, and i think my problem was you know i loved videodrome it's mm-hmm. one of the ones that i don't go back to a lot because i saw it too much but yeah. i came around really hard on dead zone i love the fly mm-hmm. i watched dead ringers a couple years ago and really loved it that's a great movie i saw crash when i was younger and thought it was really really wild and Mm -hmm. I was into existence at the time but I really fell off with the history of violence Mm -hmm. it was really notable when I was in film school everybody loved it and I just didn't go for it and I think that kind of soured me a little bit in terms of like rushing back to the early stuff even Mm -hmm. though I loved the 80s output so yeah yeah yeah. I've seen history of violence but I barely remember that movie I don't really remember liking it or whatever but it's just you can't really compare it to classic Cronenberg whatsoever. It's it's it was one of those things where everybody was so up on it that I was just like this. OK, I mean, it's good, but I don't love it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I actually am very interested in watching Fast Company. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that either. It's not horror. We can't talk about that on this <laughs> unless we cheat. Which we can, because we make yeah. the rules. So <laughs> so I, I think it's pretty obvious. I would say of these two movies, I'm telling people to go see Rabbit. I would put Rabbit in the canon of Canadian horror movies. Oh, yeah. That's, that's easy. A, that's a no-brainer. You have to see Rabbit. You and if we it. ever do any other Cronenberg... He can have as many movies as we wish on there if he, you know, if we cover some of the other ones. But yeah, for sure, Rabbit is in there. We've got to cover Shivers, The Brood, and yeah. um, what else? Is, is The Fly, is that considered Canadian? I feel not really. Like, it, it's probably just David Cronenberg. That's one of those things that's hard. There's a lot of that gray area with yeah. this stuff. According to IMDb, it's a USA, UK, Canada co-production. Okay, okay. That's like very d- diluted Canadian. <laughs> There's a lot of that, like, because everybody thinks of Black Christmas, and it, that's obviously a Canadian movie, but mm-hmm. but Bob Clark isn't from Canada, so like a lot of his other yeah. movies, people don't consider Canadian movies because mm. he's not Canadian, and... But yeah, I I think there's some gray areas of some people say a certain amount of people on the crew have to be Canadian or yeah. Or does it have to just be primary people? uh I don't know. Yeah, I think with the fly as well, like it's it's everyone knows the fly. Everyone has seen the fly. So yeah, I, I would feel less incentive and pressure to eventually talk about that. Yeah. Also with the fact it's like a a three-way co-production so definitely prioritize probably primarily the states right because i know brooks film uh, and 20th century fox distributed it so it's like it's mostly american i mean we'll just say right now we both adore the fly and, yeah, it's the best. It's the and, fucking and best. And everyone, if you haven't seen The Fly, Jesus, what are you doing? <laughs> like, stop listening to this podcast and put it on now. And with that, we've covered The Fly. 
That's all yeah. you need to know. Watch it. <laughs> so welcome, Rabid, to the Canadian canon of Yay. horror films. <laughs> if you'd like to talk to us about the movies we've talked about, go to backdashrow.com. You can find all our stuff there. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at Cineblog, And you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Y-C-K-M-D underscore. And Carlo, where can people find you? Same places uh, at Carlo Goes Boom. Carlo Goes Boom, Letterboxd. Check it out. I had a great log off on the last episode and I don't remember what it was. But otherwise keep those circular impressions in your wallet and uh... And is, it, is that lyrics from that song? Yeah. I, oh, I, got, I got a circular impression in my walla, 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 wallet. <laughs> there you go. That's the ending. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.